come to the seventh commandment in our study of God's will for our lives. He saved us not to live for sin, but to live for him. And we've come to the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. If you turn in the back of your songbooks to page 892, we have a summary of the Bible's teaching on the seventh commandment, Lord's Day 41. Focus then on chastity and purity. What is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity. And that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly. And live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul. And God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires. And whatever may incite someone to them. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6. There is an absolutely stunning and amazing miracle in the background of this chapter and this call to sexual purity. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20 on page 1134 in your pew Bibles. First Corinthians 6, beginning to read verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take Then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. This is God's word. May he bless us by it this afternoon. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the Corinthians lived in a very immoral, promiscuous culture where prostitution was normalized. The city of Corinth boasted a huge temple to the goddess Aphrodite, which also boasted the service of a thousand prostitutes for men who lived in the city and men who were traveling through. It was a port city. It was a city where homosexuality and many other perversions flourished. It was decadent. Then the gospel came. Jesus came to that city clothed in the gospel preaching of Paul and Silas and sinners were saved. Through the blood of Jesus, their sins were washed away and they were justified. They were declared righteous in God's sight through Jesus' spirit. They were made new. Their bodies and souls, which are formally defiled by every kind of immorality and perversion, became temples of the Holy Spirit. Talk about the power of the gospel. If you ever have any kind of sex addiction and you think that your temple, your body is defiled beyond repair, restoration, cleansing, think again. Look at what Jesus did to the Corinthians. He took those temples, rescued them, those buildings out of the cesspool, the sewage of life, washed them with his blood, filled them with his spirit, said, now I'm gonna live there. It's shocking, grace. This is what he does. We read that in verse 11. And such were some of you, these immoral, promiscuous, adulterers and homosexuals. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of a God. Now you are God's temples and I want you to keep your temple clean. You belong to Jesus now, body and soul. Keep your temples clean. It's a call to live a life of chastity, purity, and fidelity. Outward chastity, inward purity, and marital fidelity. Those are the three things we want to look at. Jesus put a sign on the temple. You shall not commit adultery. You belong to me. It's a call first to outward chastity. Flee says Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit you've received from God. And when we commit adultery or in any way live an immoral life, 
We're bringing sin into God's temple in a way that no other sin does. That's what Paul is saying here. No other sin quite like this. We're defiling God's holy place. And what that means is that since our bodies and souls belong to Jesus Christ and we're members of Christ, when we commit adultery, we live in sexual immorality, we're members of Christ, we're dragging him in with us. That's Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 6. And so though even the seventh commandment is for all people, it applies in a very special way to God's people whose souls and bodies belong to Jesus by covenant. And he's calling us to live a life of chastity in the midst of an immoral world. Chastity means keeping your temple clean of sexual immorality, body and soul. We read in question and answer 106, God condemns all unchastity and we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. It's for the married, it's for singles, chastity. And he goes on to explain why God condemns all unchastity and commands chaste living where temples of the Holy Spirit, 109, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. Again, we have the background of the gospel. We've been cleansed. We've made holy by the blood and spirit of Jesus. Amazing. And whether it's a Corinthian background or some other background, every time again when God takes a sinner, rescues you from the pit, from the guilt of sin, from the power of sin, the defiling power of sin, And he cleanses you and says, now I'm going to live here. Every time again, we stand shocked. You would live in me? Yes, I will. And now my command for you is keep this temple clean. Keep this temple clean. I care what you do with your mind and soul. I care what you do with your body for Both are mine. I became soul and body for you. I redeemed you soul and body. I know your body is one day going to die and go to the ground, but I'm going to redeem that body from the dust. That body is mine. But you see, many Corinthian believers were hanging on to the immoral habits of their former way of life. And their arguments to justify prostitution were very practical, common sense arguments. Paul refers to those arguments earlier in the chapter, verse 13. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is meant for food. When the body is hungry for food, you should feed it. That's a natural appetite. Yep. Then they would go to the next step. So also the body is made for sexual relations and if the body has an appetite for sex, we should feed it. Besides, we're free. Jesus' sacrifice made all things lawful. That was their argument. Paul said, no, these two are not the same. Yes, food is meant for the stomach, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. That's his answer, verse 13. So he's bending us, calling us to abandon that common sense argument of this immoral world. You hear this all the time. You need to do that or you won't be normal. 
Abandon the common sense arguments of this world and embrace the commandments of our God for holiness, for holy living. Keep your temples clean. Flee sexual immorality. Keep all that dirt out of my temple by running from it. That's what God says to his children in in the book of Proverbs. Stay away from the adulteress. Don't even go near her door. Don't even go near her door. Flee. And again, the book of Proverbs later says, if you take fire into your lap, you will be burned. So don't scoop those coals into your lap. Stay away. Flee. And then listen to 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in passionate lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. That's what chastity is. It's saying no to all sexual sin. It's controlling your body in holiness and honor. We're not left to our own strength, brothers and sisters. Are we not temples of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you? And is the Spirit not strong enough to give you the strength to say no and give me the strength to say no and to say yes to living decent and chaste lives? We need to rely on the Spirit for his supernatural strength to do what we don't have the natural ability to do. But what does it mean to live decent and chaste lives as temples of the Holy Spirit? It means whether married or single, whether inside or outside of the bond of marriage, we should be holy. It means, says the Bible, we should avoid crude joking, Ephesians 5. It means that we should not have any kind of sexual relations or flirtation with another man's wife or husband or with anyone who is not your wife or husband. And it means that if you're unmarried, you should not or you should abstain from sexual relations and sexual touching. That's reserved for within the marriage covenant alone. It's interesting if you look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 1, you have your Bibles open to chapter 6. Go to the next chapter 7, verse 1. Now, as for matters you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And it goes on to say in verse 2, if he wants to, he should marry. He should marry first. But if you're reading the New King James or some other translations, the word in the Greek is a good for a man not to touch a woman. Not to touch And it means sexual touching. And that's where the line is for singles. God calls us to wait until we're married. So living a decent decent and chaste life includes forbidding, forbidding sexual relations outside of marriage, including before we're married. It includes forbidding polygamy. It includes forbidding open marriages. The recent former or the former mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio, was recently boasting about he and his wife are in an open marriage and it's just a perfect arrangement and they're very free and they're very happy and there's nothing like it and we recommend it. 
It's a lie. It's impossible for such an arrangement to be happy. It's a facade. And it's an offense to God. Living a chaste life includes forbidding the gay and lesbian lifestyle. For these are a desecration of God's temple. And he ordained that marriage be between one man and one woman. It means fleeing incest and pornography. It means holding marriage in high honor. As Hebrews 13 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed be kept pure or undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Well, this is God's high and holy calling for us congregation. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies belong to Jesus. We're united to him. We're married to him. And for the sake of our own bodies and souls, but especially for the sake of Christ who bought us, cleansed us, filled us with his spirit, body and soul, let's live decent and chaste lives for his glory. Why would we trample on the blood of Christ? Why would we insult the grace of God by taking what he's cleansed and defile it? The second, seventh commandment is not just being broken in our country, writes one author, but smashed into pieces. Immorality is shoved in front of our faces in beer commercials, halftime shows, billboards, checkout counters, and almost everywhere you look. About 60% of all internet traffic is related to porn or some other form of adultery. 60% of all internet traffic. That number increases to 70% when the audience is 18 to 34-year-old males. And it's in this context that the call to keep your temple clean, brothers and sisters, is so important, but really no different than the good old days. 1 Corinthians 6 living in Corinth and elsewhere in the Greco-Roman world. It's a challenge. We live in the midst of perversion and adultery and immorality and the acceptance of it. And we must live the life of the temple of God. It's the best advertising there is for the gospel. It is powerful in such a world, to live a chaste life. So let's repent of every immorality in our lives. Let's bring it to the cross of Jesus. Ask him to wash us and cleanse us and then commit to live in in accordance with the Holy Spirit. A life of chastity and he will forgive. That's what he does when we repent and call on him and look for grace to turn the page And live a pure, decent, chaste life. Well, let's go secondly to the call to inward purity. When God calls us to outward chastity, he's also calling us to inward purity. Because there's more to adultery than the physical act. Yes, the physical act is worse than the thought. Some people will disagree with that, but... The physical act is worse than thought because adultery breaks the marriage covenant. 
and defiles another body, whereas adulterous thoughts do not. But both are sinful in the sight of God. Both need cleansing. And adultery starts in the heart. And in that sense, the heart takes priority in fighting this sin. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, not only in our bodies, but also in our souls. And he wants both to be kept clean and holy. The soul too, the mind too, the inner life too. Many today are content with outward purity. That's a good idea. As long as you don't act out your desires, you're fine. But the desires themselves, the evil desires, are not wrong, they say. Well, sexual desire itself is not wrong unless it's a a desire to do the wrong thing. Then it is. Jesus said, I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A big part of our war for purity is underground, in our hearts. That's why the Catechism teaches us that God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, and that can mean two things, the way you look at others, but also the games your eyes can play with people in flirting. All unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them, whatever way in which you might tempt someone to be unchaste and pure. But really, how do you control your thoughts and desires? How do you say no to lustful feelings and desires. Seems impossible. Aren't they involuntary? The Bible says we can put those desires to death by the Spirit and replace them with holy desires instead. Let me give you several ideas about how we can fight our lusts and fight for inward purity. We're especially now talking about the battle on the inside. Knowing, fighting, feeding, waiting, helping, talking, and believing. Those seven. First, knowing. Know how holy you are in Christ. Know how vile your lusts are. And let the yuck factor restrain and retrain you. If we just think about what it is that we're wanting with our evil lusts. The betrayal that is against your spouse or future spouse. How much you're damaging the person on the other side of the screen or the other side of your action. What an insult it is to God and to the blood of Christ. What a defilement to the spirit. As Joseph said to Potiphar's wife, how can I do this and sin against my God knowing, knowing who you are in Christ and how vile that feeling is in God's sight. Just knowing it helps you to jam on the brakes 
when it comes to lust. Knowing. Number two, fighting. Fighting the bad. How can we fight our lust and live purely? It's so much about internal fighting and internal feeding, but first fighting. You know, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, his Sermon on the Seventh Commandment, I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully commits adultery with her in his heart. And he didn't stop there and say, go think about that one. He kept on going. He talked about then how you get rid of lusts. He says, get radical with yourself. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to be one-eyed and one-handed and go to heaven than to fuel and follow your desires and end up in hell. That was Jesus' advice. Get radical with yourself. Fight it. Do what it takes. Kevin DeYoung applies such radical measures this way. We don't get radical often. We just make excuses and we make no changes. But he says, avoid the movies. Get rid of the internet connection. Don't kiss before marriage. Throw out your TV. Tear out your eye, whatever it takes. Well, you might say, well, that one won't work for me. Whatever. You figure it out. If it really matters, do what it takes. Too many people out there pathetically whining but not warring. Fight in the Spirit's power. But not only fight the bad, number three, feeding. Knowing, fighting, feeding. Feed yourself with the good. With good desires, with holy desires, with the beauty of Christ, the love of God, the great work of salvation, knowing that he's washed you, he's sanctified you, he's justified you, he's filled you with his spirit. Feeding yourself with good things to do, good activities. Hanging out with friends, working, biking, hiking, Being tired by 10 o'clock. Feeding yourself with the good. Another way to fight lust. Knowing, fighting, feeding, waiting. This is especially a passage for singles. Lamentations 3. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. You don't have to face tomorrow. His mercies are new for today. Today. And every day he'll give you what you need. Make it a matter of prayer. Take it to the Lord constantly. Keep telling him where the war is, what the temptations are, what you need, and ask for his grace. Waiting. He's good to those who wait for him. Lamentations 3. His mercies are new every morning. Number five, helping. Help yourself and others avoid sin by not leading others into it. Don't incite others. By flirting with people, 
by suggestive talk, coarse joking, immodest dress. You feed lust in yourself and others. Rather, be protective. Help yourself. Help others. In all these ways of dress, walk, talk, and looking. Helping, six, talking. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Fighting with lust. Not working well fighting it alone. Find some friends to walk through this thing with you who will truly help you and not hurt you. Don't go it alone. Again, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Talking. Knowing. Fighting, feeding, waiting, helping, talking, and finally, believing. Believe the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that first washed you and sanctified you to keep you clean, to keep cleansing you. Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, power of death and resurrection, live in you, dear believer. And in him you have what you need to destroy the bad and build the good. Destroy the unchaste and build the pure, a pure culture in your life. So look to him and lean on him and live in him, believing Thirdly, fidelity. The seventh commandment to God requires chastity, purity, and fidelity in marriage. The seventh commandment speaks to the relationship of husband and wife. They are to be faithful to each other until death parts them. They're not to look over the fence at other people and wish that person could be my husband, that person could be my wife. Do not covet your neighbor's wife or husband. Faithful to each other, outwardly but also inwardly. What does that mean for us as husbands that we love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Ephesians 5. Again, Ephesians 5, that we nourish and cherish them as we do our own bodies. Nourish, cherish. Colossians 3, that we not be harsh with our wives, degrading toward them, insulting, be emotionally or verbally or sexually abusive toward them. 1 Peter 3, that we show honor to our wives and be considerate toward them as the weaker vessel, meaning as the more delicate and sensitive pottery because that's the way God made them and that's for the good of our marriage that they are that way. So don't trample on that weakness, but protect that and honor that because we need that in our homes and in our lives. Show them honor, 1 Peter 3. It's a call to wives to love their husbands by respecting them and submitting to their godly leadership. That they support their husbands in serving the Lord and caring for the household. 
They support their husbands in raising their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That they exhibit a gentle and quiet spirit, not trying to lord it over their husbands or to tear them down with degrading comments, but to pray for them and support them and work as a team. That the husbands and wives serve the Lord together faithfully and help each other grow. One of the lines in our marriage vow, and I love that line, is I will encourage you to develop the gifts that God has given you. Sometimes we pounce on those gifts or we stifle them. But we should encourage our spouse with genuine encouragement to grow in grace and to use their talents to serve the Lord in a way that agrees with God's calling and God's command in their lives. I will encourage you to develop the gifts God has given you. Faithfulness in marriage purity outside marriage that's a life a temple life that preaches the gospel in marriage it's a sermon of Christ acted out in real life when husband and wife are faithful to each other Paul says they're a picture of Christ who's faithful to his bride and a picture of the church who loves and serves the Christ Or a picture of the love of Christ for his church and of the church for Christ and in singleness. Or a picture of the purity and faithfulness of our God who never breaks his promises, who always keeps his word. The seventh commandment is God's calling to show the glory of Christ as you live as his temple his clean and holy temple in this world. It advertises the gospel in such a powerful way. So let's call upon Christ through his spirit to live out this commandment and to be an epistle of Christ in our immoral world. world. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing grace and what you have done to make us your temples and for that wonderful calling under you shall not commit adultery to live clean and holy lives in this immoral world. What an opportunity and calling to shine and show forth the gospel inside and outside of marriage. Oh, give us the strength that we need to live such a life in this vile world. We cannot do this in our own strength. So we lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God the Father. Hear our prayer. Amen.